Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are playing Walk Spirit, Talk Spirit by McCoy Tyner and um, Robbie Coltrane on tenor sax. And we are going to have a really wonderful program this morning speaking to Tosin Aribasala about drumming and African diaspora and being a new father and jazz heritage month and then we're going to close out our series of poetry on Fridays during National Poetry Month with a really wonderful 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 um uh I guess I guess a wonderful um, company of poets. Uh, we're going to be having Joyce Young, Adrian Oliver, Catherine Takara, and Carla Brundage in the studio uh, after Tosin to wrap up this uh, month-long series of poetry. We were going to have Kim McMillan uh, joining us as co-host, but she is a little bit under the weather, so we're sending her positive energy and lots of love so she'll feel better real, real soon. So here is McCoy Tyner, Walk Spirit, Talk Spirit.
Ayo, 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 Ayo,
Uh, that was Tosin Arivasala, and he is in the studio. How are you, new father? <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. Good. Good. Congratulations again on your baby. So lovely. How are you all doing? <laughs> yeah, doing very well. Doing great. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Yeah. yeah. So, um, that's one of the uh, tracks of Africa Rising, your 2018 um, phenomenal, uh, gosh, venture. I just think, I mean, I just love it. So um, I don't know what you're planning, what you're working on now, but for me, it's going to take a whole lot to top that particular um, album. And I think, it's, is it number four for you? Um, yeah. But uh, Al uh, mm-hmm. Mayo. I mean, Africa mm-hmm. Rising came out in 2018. Our Mario that you just played, that was um, a single that I released in January this year. Oh, that was the one I was asking for. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, I think, yeah, well, okay, I think I'm going to really enjoy your next album because I really love <laughs> your single. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was watching you, some of your videos. You have a, you have a really, a lot of great videos, and you were performing at this really famous venue, um, China, was it in New York? It's one where all these famous people have performed and um and one of the comments on the on the uh on the page said uh-huh. uh the, one of your fans said she just couldn't she couldn't sort of fathom how you sing and drum at the same time. Oh. Um <laughs> Yeah, yes, because when I first met you I don't think you were singing. I think you were just drumming when you were with Femi, yeah. right, Femi Kuti? Yes, I was just Yeah, drumming. I didn't even know you sang, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you coordinate all that, you know, because the drum is such a physical instrument. I mean, you know, you're, like, dancing, mm-hmm. you know, with the instrument, and then and then That's to be right. able to, like, sing and and not lose place. Mm-hmm. And then, and then just, right. you know, yeah, and, and you're, like, also the – the leader of the band. <laughs> so how do you how do you do all those things at one time? Um, it took me a while to to arrive at that uh, level of um, uh, combination of uh, art activities because mm-hmm. in, you know I started by drumming and I didn't know I could combine both. I remember there was a time I was watching um, a jazz pianist on on TV with my dad and she was singing and playing piano at the same time. She was playing some um, really, really interesting, complicated stuff and she was singing on top of it at the same time and improvising. So my dad was asking the question, that, how can you do this two together? How can you combine these two? She, he thought it was, it was weird and I thought the same mm-hmm. thing too. And, and I just thought, okay, me as a drummer, I can only play drums. I don't. There's nothing else. And then one day I went to a show. I, I, I performed with a band. I was playing conga with the band, and the, the drummer was given a microphone and he was doing backup vocal. It wasn't the lead. It was only doing backup vocal. So when I saw him do that, I realized that wait a minute, there's there's a possibility to do this now because I now saw somebody who was doing it. So. Mm-hmm. That gave me the um, uh, motivation to want to try to do it one day. And then, um, you know, that was just 
background, background singing. He only comes in once in a while in the song. But now doing lead vocal on that, that was another thing entirely. So when I started out singing with my group, I would have singers to come sing in the band, to do lead vocal, and I would just sing back up along with them because that was what I thought I could only do. Eventually, I decided to give it a shot one day, and then I just started doing the lead vocal. And with practice over time, everything worked out. Mm. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, <laughs> right. And and then, you know, some of these um, songs are original. Is is the um, uh, Oya, um, Oa... Um, oh, yeah, Oa Mayo. Is that an original piece? Yes, original piece. I wrote that in December last year. Mhm. Yeah. And what's it about? Uh, it just simply means uh, it's a it's a song of uh, declaration of uh, joy and happiness to the world mm-hmm. that we will be rejoicing. So, and um, there's no better time to to share that kind of message than this time uh, that we're in this COVID-19 outbreak that's caused a lot of uh, panic and depression and sickness all over the world. And we can only assure ourselves that we shall be rejoicing at the end of this and we'll come out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was I was just sort of looking over the the pieces that you sent me and I'm mm. like oh they are just perfect they're just like <laughs> timely for for this moment uh, insofar mm. as a time when yeah you know it's a great time for artists you know to do the things yeah. that artists do best you know sort yeah. of help us manage you know something mm-hmm. that's unmanageable and and find mm-hmm. joy within the sorrow even mm, and, that's right uh, yeah these mm-hmm, yeah and these these pieces that um, you uh you share with me we have three more i believe um mm. yeah are um quite apropos so when i was looking <laughs> at your bio on your website tosinbeats.com yeah. um mm-hmm. it's pretty extensive and i think i'll let you talk about your inspirations but um okay <laughs> just wonder if you could talk a little bit about you know, just sort of being attracted to, um, you know, percussion, and and you play all the different kinds of percussion, and people will notice that in, in your in your in your um in your compositions as well. You're not just playing, yeah. you know, the trap that you're yeah. playing, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, percussion, African percussion, you know, and and yeah. and, and and it's like, and you're good at it. <laughs> I mean, you're good at all <laughs> the different forms of percussion. So it's like, oh, this is really wonderful. And and of course, you know, growing up in Nigeria, you know, with a dad who was a connoisseur in in music, mm-hmm. you know, having yeah. you know all the records that you could play and listen to and learn from, you know, sort of almost like a, um, it's almost like what do you call it? Like a, you know, you have your theory and you have your practice. You know, you you mm-hmm. sit in the classroom and then you go to the lab. So it was almost like mm-hmm. you had like the best of of both worlds coming up. And um, and you say that your music is a mixture of African rhythmic textures and some elements of jazz and blues mm-hmm. with lyrics of hope, love, and human realities. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, coming up 
in Nigeria, what part of Nigeria, and uh, and sort of being influenced by, you know, the indigenous, um, uh, I guess, culture, you know, folkloric mm-hmm. as well as, um, you know, Afrobeat, and uh, and then and then having, you know, the African diaspora influencing mm-hmm. your your palate as well and your expertise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, like you rightly said, um, I I started off playing the hand drum, different types of and percussion, the shaker, the shaker, the cowbell, because you know I grew up playing in the church, and back then the churches were not uh, like what we have today, whereby it's all mega churches everywhere. They were all like you know, small community churches here and there. And and our music, everything was very, very traditional. No, uh, we had less of Western instrumentation. Most churches then didn't have guitars or keyboard or trumpet, nothing like that. It was just hand drum and voices. So that was the beginning of my journey. I was just, playing on hand drum, and sometimes the, the music director in the church will assign, uh, once you discover your talent, what you are able to do, they assign specific instruments and instruments to you. That, okay, you go play the cowbell, you go play the tambourine or something like that. So, you know, you have your stages. And then when you show some kind of improvement or enthusiasm with other instruments, they position you on that instrument. So... I started that way, and uh, eventually I discovered the drum set. I started practicing that, took lessons, and, and, and definitely because of the background that I had in playing all these hand drums, that influences uh, the way I approach the drum set. Um, and not just the American way, which is basically jazz, playing rock beats or funk beats or shuffle beats but approaching it from uh, the Yoruba rhythm uh, perspective. So, and uh, that feeds into my uh, writing aspect too, you know, just arranging music and making it very propulsive, no dull moment. Because with the drums, the African drums, you know, drums in Africa is, is an instrument of celebration. It's not just something you sit down and listen to and clap at the end of the day like you do with classical music. No, everybody's on their feet. Most of the drummers are around and they just start dancing from the beginning to the end. So <laughs> so it's nothing like ballad or keeping it slow. No, like mid-tempo and upbeat for us. So there you have it. <laughs> yes, there I have it. Um, should we play another another song, maybe, um, and then we could talk more about it, um, about you know your um, uh, your style um, of, mm-hmm. of of uh, composition as well as playing. Yeah. Okay. So which which um, which song should I play? Um, uh, um. Uh, let me see. Which do you have? Uh, different so questions? I have um, um, <laughs> uh, Oro. Um, Orajoso. Uh, yeah, and then okay. I have um, Ja. 
And then I have okay. a, yeah. Because I know one of them has like some really nice drums on it. <laughs> oh, okay. I think it's all right, Joe. Like the beginning is like really very nice. But I'm oh, not sure okay. which one that is. Yeah, that's all right, Joe. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so maybe I should play that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. All right.
All of your work is really phenomenal. You could tell folks that I'm a fan. So, so tell us about about this particular one. Uh, what does it mean? The title. Oh, the title. All right, just uh, simply means conversation. You know, like something you discuss with someone, and oh, it's about uh-huh. love. Yeah, it's about love. It's a love song. You know, like reminding mm-hmm. a, a, a lover reminding. Is our lover to keep their promises to be together? Mm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Did something inspire that particular piece? Um. Uh, let me let me just give you um how this uh, an idea of how this song started because you know music to me or inspiration for music. It's something that comes at any time. I don't have to be in a situation to write a song. Like some people will say, oh, when they were sick or they were down or something. Or people think, oh, during this coronavirus lockdown, it's time to write songs. I haven't even been inspired to write anything at this coronavirus time. So and, yeah, if I'm going to write anything, it's just going to be a random process where like a spiritual thing, you just feel it in the spirit, so something just starts to happen. So uh, I was on tour, actually, when I wrote this song. I was on tour, and um, I had created a beat before, and while I was on tour, the idea of Aura just, uh, just kept coming to my mind in my hotel room, and I started to write it down. Uh, Tosin, something, something's yeah. kind of scratching. Um I don't I don't know what that oh. there's like a noise kinda oh. interrupting uh, you. It's like a scratching oh. kind of sound. Or How rubbing. Is it now? Is it yeah. better? Is it, is oh it yes, better it's now? not there anymore. <laughs> yes, fine. Okay, good. All right. So like I was saying, um I wrote this song when I was on tour with a with a uh, with a with a group and I was in my hotel room just uh in my moment and just writing and just thinking the the, the inspiration just came and I wrote it down. 
and uh, the word, everything. Uh, just sat down in my solitary uh, mood because I like to be alone when I have the inspiration to write so I can stay focused. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't finish writing while I was on tour. But uh, when I got back from the tour, I sat down my, with my guitar. Sometimes I write with my guitar, sometimes with the keyboard. I just work out the chords and the bass line, stuff like that. So uh, that was how that came about. I just put it together, you know, like as a, as a poet, as somebody who thinks about everyday life, you, you, I'm able to put bits and pieces together to form a song. It's, you know, sometimes you, you get inspiration for a song. You, you, you don't necessarily get everything that you need in one sitting, in that moment. So you now sit down like, okay, what is this? What direction is this song going? Or the word, you may receive a word in your mind, and you're like, okay, let me translate this word into different things or into a particular uh, phenomenon of life. So that's how I go about in writing that. Just like you say, a word is enough for the wise. So you receive one word and you turn it into several things. Hmm. <laughs> ah, nice, nice. Yeah. So let's continue talking about, um, you know, sort of your your philosophy and and your influences. So you mm-hmm. you played with some really legendary folks, you know, uh, Fela Kuti, yeah. um, like Fela Kuti, like like you draw this inspiration, but. Did, but you saw you you saw him before. Like, did were you are were you were you born when before he yeah. passed? Oh okay. yeah, before. I mean, Fela, Fela passed in nineteen ninety seven. Oh okay, so, that's not that long ago. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Not, not that not that long. So I was mm-hmm. uh, I was I was nineteen years old then. Think, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow! So, wow. Mhm. Yeah, Tell and, us some uh, stories. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I used to go to the shrine after I passed. I mean, I was at the funeral of Felakuti and everything. Mm. I, didn't get, I didn't get to meet him because mm-hmm. back then, a lot of people saw, a lot of parents actually saw Fela as terror because of his um, mm. activism, his stubbornness with the government, and his environment was, was kind of dangerous. You you don't want to, and I'm being frank here, you don't want to raise your kids in that kind of environment because everybody in that environment was smoking weed. He was like a, a thief idol, a prostitute idol, all kinds of shenanigans, all kinds of crazy stuff going on around Salakuti then because they thought they could hide at the shrine or Kalakuta, you know, all kinds of vices because people believed that some people, and when their kids run away from home, you know, rebellious kids, some of them run to Fela's house. And it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't an encouraging environment for you to want to have your child around. So mm-hmm. uh, at, the, at the time that I was alive, I dreaded going to that kind of environment. So, uh, but when it passed, that whole thing reduced a little bit. But I still went 
day, you know, once you check out the dance practice, when his band was practicing, or Femiko Femi band was practicing before I eventually joined the band. So, um, hmm. yeah, so that was my journey with the Fela Kuti uh, uh, Empire started, mm-hmm. right? Just oh. to watch the rehearsal, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually, yeah, and eventually I found out that, oh, there's an, uh, uh, a need for the drummer, for a drummer here, so I made myself available. <laughs> and I passed the audition right away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that's pretty cool. So, um, because because they knew you because you had um, been been practicing with them, it wasn't that they had to get to know you already. Be- they had to get to know you because they knew you as an artist. Uh, uh, some of the guys in the band already knew me, and they, they've heard me play drums before, and they really liked the way I play. They actually wanted to involve mm. me in another project entirely. But the minute the um, the position was open, nobody, you know, the, the drummer left the band. Um, they had a oh. show one day. Yeah, and they had a show, and I went to the show. And the mm-hmm. drummer that they, they they got didn't show up for sound check. So the guy, the band leader, was like, "Hey, person, get out the drums. I want to audition you." And I auditioned, and it was a surprise. I, I was because mm-hmm. you know I've been going to the to the rehearsal, so I was already familiar mm-hmm. with their music. So I blew through the audition, and they asked me to stay for the gig. So I stayed mm-hmm. and I played the show throughout. And Femi was surprised that we this guy that came out of nowhere and without rehearsal with the band, he was able to play everything. Because back then, mm-hmm. my, my philosophy was that I must conquer my local environment first. I had mm-hmm. international, I had um, a, a global mindset. You know how they say that, you know, uh, live locally, but uh, dream globally, something like that. So, but I already had, um, so I was already practicing jazz, exploring reggae, exploring rock music, exploring all, all types of music that are not uh, very common in our environment. In so, besides that, my focus was mainly on the local scene. That I need to conquer the local scene first and understand the music so that I can work with any artist locally. So that led me to preparing myself really well for any opportunity. And so when the opportunity came for me to perform with Femi Kuti, it was just um, like a breeze. I just got in the band, first day of the of my show, and Femi came to me at the end of the show and said, hey, I would like you to come to the rehearsal. And that was the feel for me that, oh, yeah, you've joined the band. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, were you still playing in the church as well? And yeah, 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 you were mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. I was. Yeah. So there was no, there was no, um, uh, what do you call it? There was, you know, it it worked out that you could do both. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Yeah, there was union on me for that. Say that again? I missed that what you said. said. They were a bit lenient for me. They were lenient mm-hmm. regarding oh, that. Oh, yeah, okay. Really. 
Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your mother and father and and you have siblings, right? Um oh, were any of them oh. um uh were any of them musicians as well? No. I I'm the only one that that went uh in the musical direction. They all love mm-hmm. music, but none of them uh Take it to a professional level, like okay, I want to sing in a band or play music in a band. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And and so when you know um, uh, when you um, when you were attracted to um, uh, to Fela Kuti because you know his music is simply phenomenal, but not necessarily. Um, brave enough to embrace, you know, the politics per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, did um, but you said you went to his funeral, right? Yeah, I was. I was because the funeral was um, uh, like a, a state celebration. Everybody mm-hmm. was there. It was a huge. It was at the uh, held at uh, at the stadium. It was a huge celebration of life. They had. Uh, Musical concerts, performances, um, a lot of artists came, a lot of people. People came from other states. They came from other countries just to celebrate mm-hmm. the, the passing of Fela Kuti. It was huge. It was overwhelming. So, and I, I'm, I'm glad that I experienced that. You know. Mhm. Yeah. yeah. And and. And later on, I presume, um, you know, you got a little older, you came mm-hmm. to know what, you know, what the politics were of of his, yeah. you know, his, you know, the shrine and mm-hmm. all the wives and yeah. and his his music and and the lyrical content and who he was mm-hmm. influenced by, um, yeah. and then and now you're in the United States. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um yeah, he was Can you talk a little Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I said he was highly influenced by James Brown. Mhm. Yes. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, James Brown and mm-hmm. and uh and then the politics, you know, um yeah. The Black Panther Party, you know, and mm-hmm. and that the sister that he met um who who told him taught him about that because he was um mm-hmm. you know his his musical career didn't start out as um I you know it. sort of really political you know the way it ended up being mm-hmm. yeah 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 um why don't you talk a little bit more about some of the other um artists that you mentioned in your in your bio that influenced you like um I noticed Taj Mahal and Tony Allen, yeah. like really Tony Allen, oh my gosh. Art Blakey like yeah. whoa. <laughs> yeah. See, Art Blakey when I was um when I was young, much younger. Mm-hmm. I Art Blakey was um because <laughs> I'm still young. I'm still a young man. <laughs> but Art Blakey was um is there is Phenomenal drama to me because he was the only he was the only American jazz drama that I saw 
frequently on the TV at the time when I was growing up. Um, mm-hmm. They used to show him on on one of the TV stations in Nigeria every Saturday. And I was just very fortunate to be around in the house whenever um, the show would come up with live performances. So mm-hmm. it was uh, a very life-changing experience for me to just watch him lead his band, the Jazz Messengers, and blowing up some hot jazz tunes, his compositions, and things like that. So, and his drumming is solo on the drum. And I was really inspired by that. I was moved. I was like, wow, what, what sort of dexterity is he on the drum set? I, I didn't, the things that I didn't think were possible, it made them possible on the drum set. And that further mm-hmm. uh, convinced me to go deeper into this instrument. So that's I'd look on one side and then it made me uh, hear jazz in a in a different way, you know, or to or to in, in the real sense of what jazz was is, like how to swing, how to ride on the right cymbal and stuff like mm. that. So I got that from Ablecky and then uh, playing along with a, a, a full band. And then uh, Tony Allen on the other side, you know, he represents the Afrobeat side of my drumming. So, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I had a lot of recordings with, with Fela Kuti and, you know, I've been hearing about Tony Allen, just his popularity alone and the way people describe him, his playing and all that, really, really was inspiring. And then I now um, got to listen to the recording video with Fela Kuti. So that just uh, uh, added to my, my palette of drumming, drumming style, you know, combining the jazz idea that I go from Ableti with Afrobeat that I go from Tony Allen. So just Add to my versatility on the drum set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, and then I noticed that Taj Mahal is in there. Really love the blues man, Taj Mahal. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. yeah. You you played with him, and yeah, mm-hmm. it's a different kind of kind of drumming. You know, that storytelling yeah. again. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, with Taj Mahal, I actually did a recording uh, with him in the studio. It was the Fella on Broadway. Uh, no, not Fella on Broadway. Red Hot Riot production that we did for as a tribute to Fella Kuti. So everybody, a lot of all these artists mm-hmm. came and, yeah, and had their own unique uh, style mm-hmm. to yeah. music. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing the the rubbing again. Um, oh, it didn't quite right. go away. I don't know what it is. Um, oh, it, it, yeah, it it's like away? it's like a your mic is hitting or rubbing against something. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just got this phone. I just got it working yesterday. I got a new phone. So, oh. Yeah, the old phone <laughs> died with COVID nineteen. <laughs> oh wow. Well, I'm sure, well, you know, um, they're putting bodies on ice now. What are they doing for phones, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, so tell me again the 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 recording that you did with him. It was the Red Hot Riot recording that um, that was done in uh, as a tribute to Salakuti. So. Oh. Yeah, they had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of artists that came out to support that project. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Nice. The Taj Mahal was part yeah. of it. Baba Mao was part of it. Uh, mm. Okay. The Angelo was part of it, and yes, uh, mm. the other guys. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that you know, um, uh, you play with a lot of great folks too. Um, yeah, um you mentioned Dennis um Chambers as as an influence, um Bob Marley, yeah. King Sunny Day, Manu yeah. uh Dibango, um Majet Fashik. I don't know that person or yeah, I don't know that person. Or um Kaziah Jones. Don't know Kaziah either one of those two. Who are they? Well, Kaziah Jones is a Nigerian guitarist singer who's based in London mm-hmm. and uh, he writes like uh, funk, his music is a mixture of funk, rock kind of mm-hmm. music yeah, so I really love his, uh, one thing I really like about him because, you know, I, I write songs so some, mm-hmm. some artists catch my attention just by the way they write what they say, what their philosophy their poetic um, uh, style of Putting words together, so Kizajans represents that for me. He's like a very good storyteller, and um, I get some inspiration from just listening to him doing that. And uh, Majed Kashek is a Nigerian reggae artist. He was actually based in Los Angeles at some point, and at some point in New York, and then now back in Nigeria. But he was a very huge reggae artist in in Africa, and uh, in fact, he was considered uh, next to Bob Marley since Bob Marley passed at his never seen. So, because his, his voice sounds almost like Bob Marley's voice, but, but with his own uniqueness. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. And his, his music is nice. really, really I'll, I'll send you some of his music. His music is really, really deep okay, and inspiring. Good, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that'd be yeah. super. Yeah. Ah, well, we should have started at eight thirty. We need that extra fifteen minutes because now we're <laughs> so we're gonna have to continue this. But I just want to mention, you know, some of the other aspects of your um of your biography. Um, mm-hmm. you know that uh, you've um besides the artists that you mentioned, you know, you shared your talents with other artists. Um, uh, like um. Fatumata Diawara, Spiral Jaira, mm-hmm. Julie yeah. Dexter, and many producers. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you had a recent collaboration with Arturo O'Farrell and yeah. the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Uh, cross-cultural musical exchange between Africa and Latin America. Wow, that mm-hmm. sounds wonderful. When did that happen? It happened last year in New York. Um, oh, did you all record it? We didn't record it, unfortunately, but we plan to do it again. And this time around, I, I would definitely make sure we record it. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a video. Oh. It, I mean, it was captured on video. We didn't record it, uh, audio mm-hmm. version in the studio, but we, we had video recording of one of the performances. Oh, cool. 
cool. Is it available or is it just for you all? Yes. It, it's available. It's actually uh, the performance. My performance with the band is on YouTube. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> link, link to it in your bio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, That's right. That, I bet that was phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Ooh, mm-hmm. man. And And then in 2017, you received the Best World Music Composition Award from the Maryland yeah. State Arts Council. And the same year, yeah. um, you appeared on the Drumio channel for instructions on African rhythms and the drum set. And mm. in 2016, you appeared at the Percussive Arts Society's International Convention as a clinician and performer. And you've appeared mm. on MTV's Real World Show performing your drum monologue. We'll have to talk about mm-hmm. that next time. And yeah. other appearances include Voice of America and Fox 5 News. Yeah, your drum monologue. And um, and so yeah, and I want to talk about Pharrell's Pharrell Williams' "Happy," your version of it. Um, we yeah. want to play that next time we talk. So Pharrell okay. and your drum um, uh, monologue. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'll, um, I'll send you the I'll send you uh, um, the the version of "Happy" that I did. Uh, oh, okay. Give you email. Okay, so um, we're out of time, so I'm going to give you a couple of choices into how you want to conclude. Do you want to talk a little bit about about jazz and um, and African rhythms because this is Jazz Appreciation Month? Um, yeah. Or yeah, okay, that sounds good. Why don't we just want you do that then? <laughs> it's um, you know, jazz to me is the music of the African people that that was developed in 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 this area. So especially in North America. And it's about improvisation and our lives up to now in Africa comes a lot of improvisation. You know, the economic um the economic hardship alone makes people improvise. On so many things, on so many levels, on how to survive. It's all about survival, and it's the same thing on the. It was the same thing on the plantation. You know, their survival was dependent on on suiting themselves through singing, through creating music, to cope with the hardship on the plantation from the slave masters. So uh, they create music on the spot. They create songs on the spot, and they become eventually grow into an art form. So um, it's definitely something that should be celebrated. It's something that should be uh, uh, in the art of all black children from from infancy to adulthood. Things like that. We must never forget that. So that's how I see jazz in our society and the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, You're I was welcome. looking um, on your on your website and in mm-hmm. uh, the song that I didn't play. It's uh, what are we gonna do? And I mm-hmm. don't know what are we gonna do. Yeah. What are we gonna do, Tosin? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's a question that we will always ask ourselves. Uh, you know, 
time to time. Um, there's still oppression, there's still discrimination, there's still um, all kinds of evens and schisms all around us. And uh, even when we think that we have an idea of what to do to protest, to fight against it, and something like that, some of these things just still don't go away. And it makes you wonder what are we really going to do. So just have to keep uh, part of righteousness and understanding for and that we try out. Wow. Well, it's been really, really lovely speaking to you, and I'll have to play um, the title track, Africa Rising, um, after I finish with my Mm -hmm. next guest, um, the title track, um, and also the other one I didn't get a chance to play that I really like. um, How do you pronounce it? Uh, Yeah, 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 see me. Yeah, that is a really nice one. What does that mean? It means let the world have some peace. Hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Let the world have some peace. Okay. Well, um, you have to work on that phone. It's it really sort of um distorts your your voice okay. so I can't hear you super well. But hopefully oh. um okay. when I listen to this again, because you are really good and um and I hope we'll be able to hear everything that you said, you know, through mm. the scratching. <laughs> <laughs> you you'll see what I mean when I send you the link. But um okay. but that's okay. Yeah. Cool. But thank you so much. Your baby is so quiet. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. it a boy or a girl? Boy. Boy. You just have to boy. Sleep, so when he eats he goes to sleep. Ah, yeah. yeah. Those are the days, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Simple pleasures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you take good care, Tosin. Great to um, thank you. Great to talk to you finally, and um, sure. yeah, look forward to another conversation. And uh, yeah, and I hope you and your family, you know, continue to do well and to be yeah. safe. Thank you. Right. You take good care. Oh, you too. Okay. Peace and blessings. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Hey, Joyce, how are you? Thank you so much for I'm, being patient. Uh, <laughs> no problem. It was very interesting. I, I'm sorry that I missed <laughs> some of the earlier conversation, and I look forward to hearing his music. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tosin is, he is pretty phenomenal, um, as you probably wow. can hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I met him, <laughs> I can't even remember when I met him, like how many years ago it was. But he came here with Femi Kuti's band, oh. and and I was just like so wild around his his percussion skills. I'm like, oh, I need an <laughs> interview, and he was so generous. Like he gave me an interview, and it's so funny. Um, and then he ended up moving here. His sister lives in on the East Coast, I think in Baltimore or Boston or something. So mm-hmm. he moved there, and then he went to school and became super famous. <laughs> and now he lives on the West Coast. And you know he's oh married, has a new baby. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, like really cool. Purple. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's like when he told me. Like oh, totally. Because oh, you know, no, it's just like totally. Because I'm like, I saw him when he was performing with uh, Fatumata uh, Diabate, Diabate, 
and you know she's mm-hmm. heck of famous, and I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. you think, well, is is he gonna know me now? <laughs> I mean, but Femi <laughs> Kuti is heck of famous, but he wasn't then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Femi yeah. was, and Femi yeah. was so nice. Yeah, but Aww. he was so generous, and he remembered me, and of course, you know, because we've been talking the whole time. But yeah, yeah, he's a really great man, Aww. and really, Aww. really wonderful. Yeah, glad, I was really happy to call him a friend. And, and what was really cool about knowing Tosin was that his name is like my daughter's name, Tassin. I wondered about that. When I heard you say his name, I was like, oh, that sounds just like Tassin's name. <laughs> right, right. And so that's the connection because he would ask about her. Like, I don't think they've ever met yet. <laughs> mm. But they mm. have a similar name. He's got Toe and she's got Ta. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll have so to it's really fun. Eventually, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'll definitely let you know. Um, you know, when he's doing something, you know, in Northern California. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Oh, I would love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but you live and write in Berkeley, California, and your poetry has been nominated for a Pushcart Prize and a California Book Award. You have taught creative writing with California Poets in the Schools and at Smith College, the Oakland Museum, the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, the Oakland Public Library, and La Pena Culture Center. And let me just say for our audience, if Joyce E. Young is offering poetry writing workshop, you should go because you're gonna you're gonna leave with product you can be proud of and stand and share. <laughs> you are such a great teacher, Joyce. I mean, everything oh, I've ever written in you. your workshops, I remember the one with Dorothea Lang, uh, Lang mm-hmm. and, um, and, and yeah, the poetry was like, wasn't bad, you know, for a first draft. <laughs> and, and, I, and I actually shared my first draft. <laughs> yeah, you're a great teacher. I love teacher. it when that happens. Thank you. Me Thank too, you. me too. Doesn't happen often, but, yeah, me too. <laughs> and uh, you received, yeah, you received grants from the California Arts Council and Ludwig um, Vogelstein. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Vogelstein <laughs> Foundation. Yeah, I've never heard of them. Um, Do they give you lots of money? They, I don't remember exactly how much now, but they they like to be really low key and quiet, but they do support writers, so it's a good thing to know mm-hmm. to look them up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Joyce was awarded a Writers on Site residency through Poets and Writers and the residencies at uh, Hedgebrook, Soapstone, Vermont Studio Center, and the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. She is a VONA and Community of Writers alumna. Her What does VONA stand for? Oh, Voices of Our Nation, Arts, mm-hmm. yeah. It's uh, okay. the all of the workshops. There, the workshops are held usually during the summer, usually in June. Although this year, uh, over the year, Vona across the country was done, which was really nice. But all of the um, the writing teachers who are established writers, um, the they come from and support students in really uh, acknowledging and respecting their voices of people of color across the diaspora, so of all backgrounds. Mm, nice, nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. And your work has appeared most recently in Word, Peace, and the Smith Alumni <clears throat> Quarterly. Uh, Nomadic mm-hmm. Press published your poetry collection, How It Happens, in 2018. 
Um, she works as a tutor, writing coach, and college instructor. And Joyce is currently writing more essays, a novella, and poetry. So, again, welcome, mm-hmm. Joyce. And what are you going to share with us this morning? Thank you. Well, um, I welcome. because I'm originally from Brooklyn, from New York, and New York is really mm. um, struggling now, I always, when I read now, want to read one poem that's at least one, at least one poem that's dedicated to um, New York uh, and my roots. <clears throat> so I'm going to read a poem called Fulton Street Saturday Afternoon. And the images really come from being a, a child and going to what we called the hairdresser with my mom when she would go to get her hair done. <laughs> so this is Yeah, and then I guess some people that are not in our community were like, well, done, like what was done to it, right? Get your hair done. Like, like, what? What does Uh that mean? Get your hair done. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, let's just say it involved a hot comb (laughs) in those days. But it it was more than that. You know, um, even if people aren't from, you know, our background or even from those days, um, I'm just going to kind of point to something from popular culture. Blackish did do an episode on black Mm -hmm. hair and uh, had uh, the mother, Bo, and Diane, her daughter, go to a a hair salon, I guess you would call it now, and uh, Jill... uh, I'm drawing a blank on her name. The singer, the wonderful singer, uh, Jill Scott, was the mm-hmm. owner of the salon. And there was a whole thing in that episode around, well, before they even got to that part, she had, they interviewed different women about hair and their experiences of hair, getting their hair done as children and even now. Um, so hair is a really big deal <laughs> for, uh, mm-hmm. for black women in many ways. You know, the choices of what you do with it. Um, how what it takes to do what you do with it. Um, do you let somebody else do it? Do you do it yourself? Um, mm-hmm. Also, reactions that other people have to it. And then, um, oh, uh, the, the song Don't Touch My Hair, <laughs> you know, uh, by Solange, <laughs> Beyonce's sister. So mm. <laughs> hair is a, it's, yeah, there's a lot there with hair. <laughs> so, so this was one of my experiences. I wasn't getting my hair done, but my mom was. And we would, I have a brother, and we, you know, she'd be in the salon getting her hair done, and we would either sit up front, and then sometimes we would get to wander around the neighborhood a little bit. And this was in Bedford-Stuy. was in a Bed-Stuy, where I initially grew up, and then we moved to Crown Heights. So this is called Fulton Street Saturday Afternoon. And I'll just say that Fulton Street is one of the main streets in Bedford-Stuyvesant or what we call okay. bedside. Steam from frying hair rises to ceiling. Red hot combs and curling irons hiss and spit. Aunt Minnie stands freckled, chatting and smacking gum. Red lips, red hair, and hot chocolate skin. A train roars and rumbles below. All afternoon inside smells like Posner's bergamot. Sometimes we escape to Mr. Harrison's candy store, into the rhythm of white sparks flying from silver bus cables, air brakes, and yellow taxis. Jackie Wilson, that's Domino, and Chubby Checker wailing real loud on the record store speaker. All shades of brown, 
tall, thin, short, and fat, auburn conks, stocking caps, shark skin pants, and wingtips pat the pavement on Fulton Street Saturday afternoon. Oh, that's great. Shark skin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know that fabric. Mm-hmm. Very kind of shiny and smooth looking. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in those days, that was, you know, if you were a sharp dresser and not more conservative, mm-hmm. you know, those are the things that you, you wanted to wear. So we would see, you know, men walking up and down the street. That's what they were wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I did want to definitely give a nod to 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 New York and to my my friends and family that still live there. Mostly friends in the city. I do have a brother in New mm-hmm. Jersey, and I'm in constant contact with them, and they're all fine. But you know, it, oh, these are not good. great times. Yeah, these are scary times, and yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have another one? I do. Let's see here. Um, okay. This is called Angel's Wings. And um, it, it actually was inspired by a fortune that I got in a fortune cookie at a Chinese restaurant. So I'm going to read the fortune first, and then I'll read the, the poem. The fortune stated, Confucius say, angel with wing, not so hot as angel with arms. Hmm. Angel's wings. It's important to have both wings and arms, arms to reach for and hold what you desire, wings to fly in the heavens with birds, arms to pull yourself out of the mud. Wings to flutter while you arms to swing your children around. Wings to fly over their pillows and bless them at night. Arms attached to hands that hold pens and write words. Wings that shed glittering scales of heavenly matter on every aspect of life. Wings that glisten in the light and dark of it all. Wings that remind you other states of mind, other ways of being. Mm. Ah, thank you, Joyce. You're welcome. I think <laughs> yeah, so we'll come back. Um, hopefully you can stay for the whole time and share some more. Okay. Sure. Cool. I would love to hear Great. the other esteemed writers that I'm going to be reading with. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, Adrian. How are you? Hey, Wanda, it's Carla here. Hi. Oh. Hey, Carla. How are you? I'm hmm. good. Adrian's not in the studio? Okay. Um, let's see. Catherine, are you in Catherine's the studio? Catherine's here. Oh, okay. You all are early. No problem. We can shift things around. Um, Andrea's not going to be able to join us, and neither is Kim. So um, <clears throat> so Joyce joined us a little earlier, and then I ran over. <laughs> so she didn't get it. So she prepared, and I didn't get. It. We didn't get a chance to, <laughs> um, to to do anything extra. But that's okay. We, we're going to come back around. So, um, uh, Catherine, do you want to go first, or Carla, do you want to go first, um, second, or how do you all want to do it? Um, the mother-daughter tag team thing. 
Oh. Well, maybe mother should go first. Okay. All righty. Carla, great. what do you think? Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. All righty. Okay. So, um, so Catherine, you sent me this really long bio. So um, um, would you like me to read the whole thing? No, absolutely not. Okay. Um, can I? <laughs> you can. <laughs> Should I just I was thinking, can say I read a couple of things so you just want to? Oh, yeah, you can just introduce yourself. Sure, go ahead. All right, hello, this is Catherine Waddell-Takara, and um, I am a retired professor from the University of Hawaii. I taught uh, black studies. I'm interested in social justice issues, environmental issues. Um, I was born and raised in Tuskegee. I have two daughters and four grandchildren, and I'm retired, and I have a little publishing company called Pacific Raven Press, and we, um, we've been around since... 2010, and so I continue to work on that, even though I'm retired. Yeah, and and you published a book that I'm in, right? Well, I certainly published um, the the Africa Wawa book, Wodawa book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in that book. Yes, yeah. I know. Okay. Yes, and it's wonderful. <laughs> I'm so proud. Yes, and we have a reading tomorrow, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to interrupt you for a second. And Carla, why don't you do the commercial? Um, well, I'm really excited about um, having published a book uh, with Pacific Raven Press, uh, and it features 24 poets. Um, 12 from Ghana and 12 from the greater Bay Area, including Wanda. And it's called Our Spirits Carry Our Voices. Um, And it features work from our exchange, which was basically two years of exchanging poetry online, culminating with a... um, with a slam poetry reading in Accra, Ghana. Um, And it was really a beautiful exchange. It felt like a Sankofa journey. A lot of us were able to really um, connect with each other when we finally met. And that was the goal of the exchange, was for people to learn about each other in an authentic way. Right. And um, Saturday from... 10 to 12? 10 to 11. No, uh-huh. 10 to 11, sorry. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a reading, um, an international reading online in a Zoom uh, studio uh, space. And so um, how do people join the reading um, and, and participate as, as spectators? Um, I don't know if there's going to be an open mic, um, but it should be really fun. Yeah, it's going to be a beautiful reading. We're going to have um, six Ghanaian poets and six um, American poets um, exchanging, sharing their work, as well as an open mic. Uh, We do have a few spaces left. And, yes, it will be at 10 a.m. our time. And the way you can get on to that is you can um, find us on Facebook, West Oakland to West Africa, uh, Wodawa. And you can sign up there. Um, also, we're on Instagram, West Oakland, West Africa. 
and you can um, we'll we'll send you the information. Okay. All right. Cool. Super. All right, Catherine. Please share your work with us. What are you What are you going to share with us? Well, given the heaviness of life at this moment, I thought I would go for something humorous <laughs> to start out. And it is a poem that I that Ishmael Reed actually published way back in 2000. I don't know, three or something like that. And it's called Cows and Alabama Folklore. The old folk used to say, when the cows are lying down, it's show enough going rain. I said similarly to my two girls, and they always asked why, and I didn't know. Now, I could have gone to Dad, who was a retired veterinarian, but I never thought about it, except when I saw the cows lying down, no matter where in the world I was. Passing Kualoa Ranch by Chinaman's Hat in Hawaii on the way to and from town or on the back roads in Alabama. So this year, when I received the almanac in the 50-pound bag of dog food, I wasn't looking for information on cows, but rather I sought the esoteric stuff like tides, eclipses, and zodiac secrets. Imagine my surprise when I saw a section on the foster mother of the human race, the dairy cow. Now, mind you, in my ethnic studies class, we had just been discussing slavery, slaves as chattel, human chattel, and I had told the students it meant fettered living property, never considering that the word was synonymous with cattle. Nor did I realize that Egyptians domesticated cattle about 3,500 B.C. True. I was familiar with cow terms like bull, steer, stag, heifer, and even bullshit, not realizing that a cow produces 15 tons per year. I also associated a stag party with lots of available cute guys, horny and looking for action. And a heifer? Well, that was a slang word to describe a girl whom one was angry with or who had loose morals. And just the other day, in my French class, we read La Fontaine's fable about the frog who wanted to become a magnificent cow. It becomes understandable when the size and weight of a large cow is appreciated. The almanac revealed that the average cow liver weighs 10 to 20 pounds, the heart 5 and the kidneys about 20 pounds each. In a day, in the life of a cow, I was surprised to learn that cows get up and down an average of 14 times in 24 hours. And their senses of smell and hearing are keener than humans, they being able to smell for a distance of 6 miles. But cow belches and flatulence which I had heard about on the news accounting for 400 liters of methane per day and possibly contributing to the global warming phenomena, suddenly made the domesticated animals seem potentially as powerful and lethal as Rambo. I learned that cows, similar to dogs and cats, like to be rubbed or scratched on the chin and behind the ears. Don't touch their faces. 
They might become restless and knock you down. The almanac further said that they live like a pet for 18 to 20 years, and if the tail reaches the ground, the age is more than one year old. I just did not know, even growing up with cows in the vicinity. I also hadn't heard the best time to castrate a calf is when his testicles reach the size of a squirrel head. Reading on, I found that cows consume about 100 pounds of pasture each day, spending six hours a day eating and eight hours a day chewing their cud. Maybe because of their four stomachs, frequent digestive disorders, and an inability to vomit. And had you heard that a heavy milker might drink 300 pounds of water a day, 340 squirts, of course, making a gallon, traditionally milked from the right. And some say cows respond best to a woman's hand. But the cow folklore, not facts, was most fascinating to me. In Alabama, where thunderstorms are so severe, one seeks shelter under the bed, and nightmares about lightning and thunder are in the collective genetic memory. It is said, near the neighborhood of Little Texas, that heavy thunder sours the milk. It is further believed that to cure TB, one has to eat butter made from the milk of cows who grazed in cemeteries. And... Most importantly, the almanac reiterated and confirmed the ancient superstition that cows may lie down and refuse to graze when a storm is approaching. The old folk used to say, when the cows are lying down, it's sure enough going rain. Wow, what a what a a journey that piece is! <laughs> wow, yeah, I'll never look at a cow like you know, like I thought I knew cows. I mean, I didn't know as much as there's a whole lot to know about those cows. My goodness, it is. Yeah, those, <laughs> including that, the folklore. Yeah, that was a, yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm thinking. Oh, I have to get an almanac. This sounds like a great read. Well, that was an old <laughs> one. They change every. Every year, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, well, right. The next yeah. expecting that one, Mom. <laughs> Pardon? I said I wasn't I know. expecting that poem. <laughs> I know. Well, the the coronavirus is so um, prevalent in my mind. I felt that, especially at this early hour in Hawaii, that I needed to bring some humor to our day. Mm-hmm. The next one yeah. that I'd like to share... It's called Waiting Together, and I wrote this for Asha, my granddaughter, when she was she and I were at the beach one day. Oh, and for the audience, I do live in Hawaii for since 1968, after I got my M.A. in French from Berkeley. Waiting Together. My grandchild and I while away the afternoon under the mantle of shade, offered by the tall ka'a'ava ironwood trees. Watching her go for a swim, I move closer into the sun and startle a fisherman dreaming on the rocks near the false kamani tree. When I return to the shadows, my granddaughter is tired 
and still, stretched out on her beach towel, flung across a large, hot, flat stone. We sit in silence and rest. No lists, no phones, no web, no work, no plan. Just being and waiting together. That's beautiful. I wish Asha could hear that. I sent it to her years ago, but she probably doesn't remember. Um, That second poem is from a book called Love's Seasons, Generations, Genetics, Myths. And I think I have time for one more. Is that correct? Um, Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. This is in um, a book that I wrote called Footprints, Wings, Phantasms, and it was inspired by a Chinese poet that I taught with a few summers ago um, for a while in Qingdao University in northeastern China. Forces unleashed. Polar ice and glaciers crash into the Arctic Ocean, Brooding hurricanes menace the horizon. Swirling tornadoes lower to destroy. Monsoons bully across the roiling seas. Earthquakes and tsunamis proliferate. Flaming forests reduce homes to ashes. Nature leads us to recognize our insignificance. Dark matter lingers from danger, forebodes infinite holes of nothingness, reveals traps, pockets of self-abnegation. Comparative paradox. Eyes smart and wink. wink. Storms, disasters, and fog create surprising, colorful sunsets. Together, we struggle with armies, contradictions, temporal laws, processes, tragic comedy of non-leaders, and fake news. Wake up! Wake up! Work and explore the perennial riddles. Find the keys to growth and survival. Open the treasure chest of self-knowledge. Beckon friends. Gather memories. We, still safe and relative seeing, help us to better understand community, thoughts, emotions, and nature. Turn again toward the North Star. Hope veiled within. Well, thank you, Catherine. Um, is it seven o'clock in in Hawaii? It is seven o five or seven o four. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We appreciate you getting up so early to join us. Um, if you stick around, you could maybe share some more poetry um, after um, Carla and Adrian have an opportunity to uh, to share their um, their first selections. Wonderful! Thank you for inviting me, Wanda, and warm greetings and aloha to all the guests. <laughs> uh, thank you. They're muted, but they'll be able to say aloha back once. Once Carla finishes. <laughs> so Carla is the founder of West Oakland to West Africa Poetry Exchange. She is a Bay Area-based poet, activist, and educator with a passion for social justice. 
Born in Berkeley, California, Carla spent most of her childhood in Hawaii, where she developed a deep love of nature. A board member of the Before Columbus Foundation, her work can be found in a variety of publications, including Hip Mama, Literary Kitchen, Lotus Press, Bamboo Ridge Press, Vibe and Conch Literary Magazine. She holds an MA in education from San Francisco State University and an MFA from Mills College. Her poetry book, Swallowing Watermelons, was published by Ishmael Reed Publishing Company in 2006. Her website is westoaklandtowestafrica.com. So, Carla, what are you going to be sharing with us this morning? Hi. Um, I am going to be sharing one poem that I wrote um, in collaboration with my partner teacher, with my partner, exchange partner in Ghana, Sir Black. And I'd like to share one other poem that I wrote for a sister friend of mine. Um, So um, I'll start with my poem from our book, Our Spirits Carry Our Voices. And uh, when we were doing the exchange, uh, one of the things we did was we thought about themes that um, were accessible to us strangers communicating across cultures and across a huge divide. And so we started with um, where I'm from, and then we also wrote about the ancestors. This is my poem that Um, in relation to the theme of the ancestors. Um, It's called The Present. I am the present, the gift of the here and now. The love we give in the moment under the shining sun is the gift. When under the mango tree, gentle rain falls, cleansing the dust off tattered leaves, stand tall, hold your shoulders back, imagine a light from your head to the sky, Open your throat chakra and listen with your voice. Surround yourself with a shawl of moonbeams. Let butterflies into your soul and be thankful in rainbow colors. Your ancestors gave you life, and soon you will be one too. Give back to the community with deeds, not words. May your prayers be grateful. You have so many talents. Open your soul to the ocean of love before you. And then what would happen is Sir Black would receive this poem across the ocean and he would respond with my last line. So his poem starts with the words before you. Um, And hopefully people who are interested will tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. and join us for our exchange poetry reading uh, on Zoom. And again, you can get that information from our website, westoaklandtowestafrica.com or finding me on Facebook. Um, I have one more, Wanda, if that's okay. Sure, that's fine. Okay, it's called Brazen. And I wrote this uh, to a very dear friend of mine, Tyrese Brown, who is also part of our exchange. And um, it was about a friendship that evolved. It's called Brazen. We couldn't believe it was we, sister. Palm and heart face outwards a gift of our brightness. We can't give up because when we see washed, turn around, you become we. Pomegranate seeds full of torches. 
cracked open, moonlit discussions. In the passenger seat, we take turns driving, inured, implicated, intentions unclear. We swerve around hairpin corners of race and privilege, injuries we suffered. Not that we expected this perfect partnership. We saw we and held us, turned pages of our life and said, this is meaningful, as if our successes were mutually intertwined. We did not know this feeling before, we, the feeling when someone really has our back publicly. When we arrive, we are not alone. So that's a poem to, I think, sisterhood, friendship, and specifically black sisterhood. Nice. Thank you, Carla. So, Adrian Oliver, so happy to have you join us. Good morning. It's been a minute since I saw you at George Gordon Gallery. (laughs) Right. It has been a minute. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the last time I saw saw you physically. I've seen your, you know, since we work in the same college district, I've seen you, you know, leading workshops. I've seen you in Zoom workshops, Mm -hmm. you know, um, leading different kinds of, you know, yes. discussions and things like that around equity in the um, the virtual um, classroom. Um, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so it's really nice, you know, to hear some of your poetry. And I know um, uh, Carla, we were going to – she got together with you because uh, you were featured um, at a poetry um, reading yes, in Berkeley that she was hosting. Thank you, Carla. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that, that was, was on February 1st. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Adrian yeah. uh, Danielle Oliver is a poet, educator, hip-hop scholar, currently living in Oakland, California. Her previous work has appeared in Storytelling, Self, and Society, uh, Wayne State University Press uh, 2018 uh, publication, and Museum of African American Diaspora's Poet, Cent- Poet Corner, a Voices of our nation's art foundation or Vona alumna, uh, just like um, uh, Joyce. <laughs> uh, Adrian and Joyce writing about intergenerational healing and 1930s era history leading up to the civil rights era. Some of Adrian's favorite authors include Gloria Naylor, Tyembia Jess, Toni Morrison, and Harriet Mullen. When she is not writing, Adrian is reading or watching documentaries. So you have to tell us about some of your top ones now because everybody's watching something. (laughs) And she also leads a monthly writing and healing circle for black women. And are you doing that now through an online platform, your monthly writing and healing circle? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm doing that through Zoom. And if anyone's interested, they can find me on Facebook. It's called the 808 Healing and Writing Virtual Circle. Already eight oh eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a like as an area code. As mm-hmm. in the hip hop kick drum. <laughs> That's oh, the hip hop okay. scholar in me giving like a nod to the eight oh eight beat. Okay. I have to look that up. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you gonna share with us today? So I'm gonna share well I'm gonna start with one piece that um 
is about my experience with the Great Migration as someone who moved to the Bay Area from Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, I just, I love, I know I put in my bio that I love studying 1930s era history. And, you know, I've been reading this book, The Warmth of Other Suns, perpetually, like for the last three semesters with my students. And I love that book. So this piece is called A Day in San Francisco, Notes from the Great Migration. Now I am in San Francisco, remembering, tracing, minding my journey from Little Rock to get here. I forget how many state lines I crossed. All I know is I am expanding. I look around and see, waiting to hear what the city limbs gonna say. If the city need my part before I make myself too at home here. The tenderloin say it need poets. I look around and forget that I am a poet till the tenderloin say, but you are a poet because you hear me. I look around and forget that I am a poet to the tenderloin say, but you are a poet because you hear me. I inhale the tenderloin. Excuse me, Adrian. Adrian, you need to, you need Mm -hmm. to start your poem again because I muted you accidentally because I was, I heard some noise in the background. Somebody's microphone, somebody was doing something and it was noisy. And so I muted, yeah, I muted you. So you have to start all over again. Sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. (laughs) Happy to share. Okay. So the poem is called A Day in San Francisco, Notes from the Great Migration. Now I am in San Francisco, remembering, tracing, minding my journey from Little Rock to get here. I forget how many state lines I crossed. All I know is I am expanding. I look around and see, waiting to hear what the city limbs going to say. If the city need my part before I make myself too at home here, the tenderloins say it need poets. I look around and forget that I am a poet till the tenderloins say, but you are a poet because you hear me. I inhale the tenderloinness of that moment. Then I see a woman sitting on the corner. She throw rocks at the street like she mad at it. And the streets say she is counting up minutes till the city notice her. The Fillmore say it needs jazz. I look around and forget that I am jazz. To the Fillmore say, but you are jazz because you feel me. I asked the Fillmore, how many black folks play here these days? Then Fillmore say they shut the Fillmore Center down because they were shooting. Then Market Street puts me in a muni bus, and I find myself discombobulated in Dolores Park. And the pigeons say, don't feed the white folks. Meanwhile, the Golden Gate Bridge say, cheese. 
And now I'm here on mission watching Silicon Valley Google busing and white folks who hop on a scooter. I remember the Little Rock Nine. I forgot what we won. School's back segregated now. I remember I'm carrying tea in my right hand to sip slowly. The fog say, it's all right to squint to see. I know I'm thick. And the wind say, it's all right to hold tight. I know I'm cold. I remember the embrace of Arkansas summers close to my skin. I remember later today I'll be back in Oakland and the town will say, Bay Area, and let me take my sweet potato soul time growing into the cadence of this new life. I am ready to go back to Oakland now. I know Oakland will say, cry, sister, cry. But for now, I am standing in San Francisco like improv jazz, forgetting the song we were originally playing. I am here for the six million of us who traveled far to get here. Chicago, New York, Detroit, anywhere far from home where they say, die, nigga, die. I remember we are still waiting the water. Thank you. Thank you. And I would say that the documentary I would recommend, um, just thinking about jazz, is actually one called Jazz by Ken Burns on Amazon Prime, if you're a Prime member, the whole thing is there, and it's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when um, when it was first uh, released, um, one segment at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part, um, it's got some problems. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty Yeah, good. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, you know, it's sort of like... <laughs> Yeah. Whose perspective, right? Who's telling the story? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. There's no such thing as not having, you know, I mean, no matter how one might think the word unbiased is a real word, it doesn't. It really everybody has a bias. <laughs> right. It would be nice if there was a documentary that went in as equal amount of detail as that one told from a black perspective, and I had a chance to see the one produced about West Oakland that was really good. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was, you know, around in that perspective. Yeah, right, the one that our, our sister, um, who's a, a filmmaker, she's a director here, and her mother's a famous poet. Um, yes. Yeah, um, I'm, her name will come to me, because she, she's really famous in... Oh man, mm-hmm. she's great. Um, I'll look her. She was she was one of my show, but yeah, that's a great film. The one that she did on the blues in West Oakland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that film. one. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. do you know the um, do you know the film we're we're trying to think of the name of um, uh, uh, Carla or or Joy? See if I can find it. Yeah, so the listeners yeah. can. Um, I don't. Hmm. Don't okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't have any breakfast, so I'll blame it on, you know, not having enough oxygen. <laughs> yes, I know. But yeah. if, I don't know. But, I didn't know how much time I had, but if you come back yeah. around, I'll do share one. Do you have another? Oh, okay. Oh, I do have okay. another All right. I can share. 
Um, yeah, you can share another one now, and then we're going to have Joyce, and then you can do another one after that. Okay. So this one is one that I actually read for the Ugly Beauty reading, and mm-hmm. it's one poem and part of a series, and um, it's kind of related to my work around writing and healing for black women, and this poem is about being guarded. It's called Hashtag for a Reason, Guarded. She is a limitless being, finding solace and solitude most days along with her thoughts, especially now. <laughs> Today, sitting peacefully, all those yesterdays filled up with being open to love, brotherly love, sisterly love, family love, romantic love, just open to love. Friends changing, romance disappointing, growing apart, being betrayed, each experience becoming a brick. Over the years, she's collected enough bricks to build a nice wall. Now, where her open field to love used to be, there is a wall. Her field was a sea of endless green, dandelion seeds full of potential, the stack of bricks. She's collected are so high, her view to the field is blocked. The wall of bricks, like a fence, stand tall. So she's decided to paint the wall, a beautiful royal blue. So fascinated she's become with painting the wall that she's forgotten it was a wall. The steady moving back and forth of the paintbrush is soothing. Up. Down, up, down. Hey, Shorty, let me holler at you. Up, down, up, down. Hey, girl, you want to hang out sometime? Up, down, up, down. This your mama. Your cousin been trying to call you, girl. Up, down, up, down. She moves slowly, steadily across the wall aiming to cover every inch. It's not a wall anymore. It's a canvas, and it's keeping her beautifully occupied. She can't remember why she never had the wall in the first place, from birth. Then none of the bad things would have happened that helped her build the wall in the first place. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So, Joyce, why don't you share share some more poetry with us? Okay. So, I'm going to share one that, um, how do I say this, addresses the fact that we're at a distance, and um, it's called How Will You Step Forward? Will you leave your coat at the door or molt and preen before tilting your head upward to sing? Joining the howling, hooting, cackling, chirping, harmony, and dissonance? Will you wipe your feet on the mat and step through the doorway of a hut you've walked by but never been able to enter? Should you wear a bathrobe or a blue suit? Twirl your skirt, your, sorry, twirl your skirt to Roomba or rap? Will good things happen whether you sharpen your pencil or use one with a stubby edge. 
Who will be at home to greet you? Will there be soup on the stove, a welcome hug, or your own pulse marking time? Do you have another one? Your poems are really short. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they are. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, maybe I'll do one to a former next-door neighbor. This is, you know, uh, in Brooklyn where I was growing up, and um, we called her Miss Virginia, um, and so this poem is, is, I wrote it to her, Miss Virginia. She cried as she sat on the back steps for hours rocking herself and rubbing her hands. When she did that, we knew she'd be going to Kings County again. Miss Virginia, hair barely covering her head, black-rimmed glasses sitting on her nose, eyes that saw more than she spoke of, worried tone always in her voice. She had to clean her husband Hilton's greasy mechanics overalls, listen to his slurred words and drunken belches, wash her fast-talking son's dirty, sweaty T-shirts, and know that he tongue-kissed a woman in the front yard as my mother watched from the porch. How did she live with them? She called her only daughter, Honey Bunny, sweetness in her life of sullen rumors and haughty neighbors, on our block of row houses sandwiched between red brick apartment buildings. If she'd had another way, would she have danced? carved something out of wood, shaped a life for herself from clay, traveled to another state, spoken with ancestors who could have taken her by the hand and held her up. Hmm. Wow. What a nice tribute. That was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she she and her husband, mostly her. I mean, he was going during the day, ran a rooming house. So their their house was just like ours, but it was divided into rooms. So they had all these other people besides their family living there. And I can imagine it must have been really hard for her. And sometimes mm-hmm. it was really hard and she needed that break, and that's what would happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, um, who else has another poem they'd like to share? Hey, Wanda. I wanted to Mm -hmm. thank you so much. I'm going to have to go back to work now. Um, Thank you for all the beautiful poetry, Um, everybody. Great hearing you. Um, And um, I'm going to hang up. Bye. Okay. Sure. Thanks for joining us, Carla. Bye-bye. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Yes, see you tomorrow. (laughs) So, um, Catherine, um, do you have another one? I do. It's unedited, but it was my reflections on um, Coronavirus 95. Mm, Okay. So, solidarity and resistance, stay at home family anchored in the living room of new being. Where are other family, friends, jobs, food? Absent, the travel industry, 
flights, hotels, tourists enjoying restaurants, movies, non-emergency, sometimes preventative medical attention, education, homeschooling, distance learning, growth, how to maintain the value of our senses, how to help those beyond access on the periphery. But the minorities are a majority in numbers, if not power. With the proliferation of guns next to goodness, we are so separated nowadays. I'm lost, but continuing in an ocean of impossibles. I'm basically a good person, relatively. God guides and keeps me. I sing and dance a praise song for all to hear and witness the pleasures of love, constant as wakefulness to moments, connection. Nature is a silent witness, expands where humans used to be. I return to observe the, observe the patterns, processes, production, community comfort. Harvest the voices in the neighborhood, laughing, clinking of bottles, barbecue going, large families extended, most observing social distancing, some joy of domesticity. These travel the breezes of silence, reminding of what is of value. A confusing prism of origins, shadows fly, like, fly in like phantasms. Who are we and our ancestors? What is our response to crisis, death, wedding, babies? Money thrown out, barely enough to eat on, discontent, resentment, resistance, demonstrations break out. The government grows more authoritarian based on status, greed, ego, and control, believing that they can do anything, judge anyone and any circumstance carelessly, selflessly, selfishly, blind, blindly leading with sycophants. The Constitution falls victim to power's madness, altering the lives of millions due to inattention to warnings, an uncontrolled new epidemic at hand, options of voting, but the base supports, supports privileged tyranny, minorities and the transcendent good, teeters on old stilettos. Stand up and fight, but who, what is the enemy? Environmental abuse, overpopulation, forces to control, let us remember the songs of history and survival, healing hope for the coming days. Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing um, a new piece. You are so welcome. It is my pleasure. Yeah. So, Adrian, do you have one more? Yes, I do, and I remembered the name of the documentary. It's Evolutionary Blues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and who um, who is the uh, the director? Sh Cheryl Fabio is the director. Yes, Cheryl Fabio. Right. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a really important one to check out. I love documentaries. So this second one is actually part, it's a poem in the series from the last poem I read. It's a collection of four small poems just dedicated to issues that black women um, deal with around healing. And this one is called For a Reason Tired. She is a limitless being. They tried to break her with chains, with words, with the DNA of a heartbreak embedded into her body. Mama's heartbreak. Mama's mama's heartbreak. Mama's 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 heartbreak. Mama's 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 heartbreak. Mm. But she smiles and smiles and smiles and smiles like a black man in blackface fighting for his dignity. She has to reach way back to the Nile to remember to smile. While time traveling in between this present and her past Africa, she sweats the transatlantic, centuries beating up at the neck of her at the nape of her neck. It's twenty twenty, they telling her now. Or is it nineteen sixty eight or eighteen sixty three? She thought we already done been through reconstruction, but her body feels contorted from squeezing behind a whites-only counter, standing over her son's open casket funeral, being bombed with her three friends, being shot in her apartment, being quarantined. She forgets what day it is because the lifetime's just running together, and they want her to be on time and this time to wake up from her dreams and feel like she actually slept where her body lay while her fugitive spirit was in flight. Hmm. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, very nice. So um, if there are, are there any other poems? I'm just sort of like saying, well, you know, we have to share this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have a tiny funny one again. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) We have time? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, wait. I have to find the page. This one is called Sassy Ass. And the reason that I wrote it was um, (laughs) when I was in Africa visiting Carla in in Abidjan, um, Cote d'Ivoire, I really marveled at the women's bodies and how they owned them and how they wore their beautiful clothes and they had these beautiful asses if if you excuse me and um <laughs> and it reminded me so much of growing up in Alabama and mm. and um you know some of the some of the body types i guess you could say and so i wrote this poem sassy ass She had a sassy ass, an ass with character. People waited and predicted. Men watched her grow, impatient to feel her sassiness, wanting to slide their fingers up and around, make music of it smooth like a trombone, palm over the curve of it like a human gourd, spank it and make it romp like a filly, take it to bed, pantyless, Work it up to African rhythms. Yes, yes, indeed, she had a sassy ass. Mm. 
an ass with special character. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's really great. <laughs> Thank you. That's that was great. from Love Seasons again. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, I had um I had pulled up a poem and now I can't find it anymore. Um that I was going to share. So, um I can't locate the one I was going to share, so I'll share the one that's in a collection, another collection that um Carla uh and I were in together. This one here, um she's the editor of a collection, Words Upon the the Waters, um, a poetic response to Hurricane Katrina. And uh this is um this was on Jukebox Box Press, um um Gosh, boy, I really should have had some breakfast. Um, who is the um, <laughs> who is the um, unofficial um, poet laureate for Oakland? Um, oh, Reggie Major. This is his um, his imprint, and he was alive then, and so he he uh, he published the book, and uh, Carla was the editor, and then uh, Sarah Bill and Kim Shuck were assistant editors, and um, I think I did the did I do the I did the foreword or something like that. Anyway, I have a poem in here for my father, and I'm from New Orleans, and so um, um, and my whole family's from New Orleans, and so Katrina really um, had an impact on my family, uh, continues to have an impact on my family, those that are still living. So this one's called Smoky Miracle, and uh, it's for Daddy. Huge pieces of granite blocked this sunshine this black August day. I dreamt of Daddy last night, and today I remember his slow death. Diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, black skin. Not lethal, the scientists said, yet my dad took no chances. Headed west from New Orleans, Angola, Deep South, and Mississippi manufactured bleaching cream towns. The combination permed hair and enlightened skin, still ineffective agents against certain signs, doors, nooses wrapped around limbs left dangling in conspicuous places. Deadly and strange sights followed us north. Nightmares still haunt our gene pools, drowned in green ripple chasing orange juice on warm Sunday afternoons away from the view. Our porch, a staging ground for liftoffs and setbacks. Parachutes didn't open on Sunday afternoons on Tioga Street, but that was okay. San Bruno mountain peaks were just ahead, and from that height, we could see the possibility of something better than from parachutes which never seemed to work for us. A tiny detail that only mattered when we were up. Worn cushions singing tissue-tired songs. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday, they cried. The tincture is still running red despite civil rights and rescinded affirmative actions, nodding my head as cement dreams left impressions hard to shake. Like the fact that my father's inheritance was a plot in a cemetery. No marker, Mm. but we know where Mm. he's at. A descendant of Benin kings and queens, property owner now of six feet by nine feet cement lined hole. Perfect location for a body wrapped in summer cloth. Was it reparation or just a fatal mistake like blotched suicides and tainted blood transfusions? 
As me and Daddy watched Smokey Robinson on television that last night, a Channel 9 late-night special, the day turned her sleepy head on starry pillows, and then it was nighttime, Daddy in a morphine-induced stupor. I kissed him goodnight, went home, and he was gone before day could rise again. Chilled, I sat at his tomb, willing him back to life. He didn't stir. Not that it would have been easy to get up from the under all that dirt we heaped on his frail, still body just moments before. You're the one I've been waiting for forever, I sing, the grass still outlining the shape of the hole. Thank you. I, I get these inspirations. I was sitting in Yoshi's listening to somebody playing some really great music, and it's like, oh, here's a home. Wonderful. <laughs> just mm-hmm. like, you know, like Joyce, I tell you, you know, you know, like just having the right inspiration sometimes, um, mm-hmm. you know, really yeah. helps. I really, I really, you yeah. know, sort of look with admiration on people that have books like you, Catherine, and, you know, you, Adrian, and, uh, and Joyce and Carla, you know, where, you know, you can, you do poems so easily. It seems um, I can write an essay faster than I can write a poem. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I feel so honored to be here with you women, just um, and the Thank audience you. even, just sharing our love for poetry and our um, deepest soulful observations. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. We have to do this again. Oh, that'd be wonderful. When it's not April. Yeah. Yeah. So, Catherine, I want to see you tomorrow, and it's going to be another early day for you because it's 10 to 11. Wow, goodness. You have to go to bed early tonight. I don't know. (laughs) What happened was my alarm didn't ring, so I came to you really sleepy. (laughs) I jumped out of bed. Anyway, we do what we have to do, just as our ancestors did what they had to do. Oh, here we are. That's yeah, true. That's, true. That's, true. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So thank you all so much. Any any parting words for our audience? Um, any kind of um, I mean the you know the wonderful work you share was so inspirational. But I don't know. You want to share something about the craft? Um, you know, maybe people might be inspired to, since we have time now, and we're you know sheltering <laughs> at home. People are not. You know, going out much, and well, it depends on what state you're in, uh, <laughs> uh, what part yeah. of the state you're in. Like, you know, in Southern California and San Diego, that's almost like a whole other country. Almost the things mm-hmm. that I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then, poor mm-hmm. um, our our dear sister, um, you know, Maxine Waters. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, her her dear sister is. You know, she has the virus and she's dying. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of uh, little quotes. One is from Rumi, and it says, mm-hmm. A woman is a mystery that can guide the wise and open man. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. And then the <laughs> other one is, it's not what you gather, but what you scatter 
that tells what Ooh. kind of life you have lived. Hmm. Oh. Very nice. That's very nice. Wow. Is that Rumi as well? No, this is by a woman that I haven't. I don't know her work. Her name is Helen mm-hmm. Walton. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I like that one. That's very nice. Which is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like seeds, they they grow. You know, which is good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would offer some parting words about craft, Wanda. Mm-hmm. Um, just to piggyback on those wonderful quotes, I would recommend like just journaling every day. If you consider yourself someone who's not a poet, you can use quotes like that to be a writing prompt and just journal whatever comes to mind, and you'll be surprised at what will come out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those will be my parting words. Just write. Just write. Mm-hmm. Okay. We got two other teachers, so Joyce, what are your parting words? <laughs> <laughs> the pressure is on. <laughs> I guess the uh, <laughs> um I well one of the things I would say is um one of the things that popped into my head was that for me poetry allows me to get into the corners. I don't know how else to explain it. Like a, if I have to worry about a full sentence and if the sentence is correct and grammatically and all of those mm-hmm. things, that can sometimes get in the way of what I want to say. So um, even if you just write a snippet of something, if a word comes to you, if you're inspired by an image, um, jot it down. You never know where it will lead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Get into the corners with words. Wow, that's so cool. Ooh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, we got to keep smiling. We do. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We do. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So Thank that you, was Wanda. yours, Catherine. You. Keep smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In oh, you're spite of, welcome. because of, gritting mm-hmm. our teeth and smiling at the same time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all righty. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again so much, um, all of you, uh, and to Carla as well, um, who departed before us. And, yeah, we'll keep smiling and we'll keep, um, you know, getting into those corners and uh yeah and you know and getting those words out you know sort of yeah journaling and letting words just sort of tantalize us you know the way flowers mm-hmm. do you know and mm-hmm. and for people that drink you know uh the smell of a of a a great you know wine or liqueur you know, mm-hmm. one's nostrils. Before one even tastes it, you sort of like taste it with your nose, right? The smell of it <laughs> as a flavor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, have a wonderful rest of the morning, and thank you so much thank for sharing you. so much of it with us. Thank and you. Yeah, maybe I'll see you all tomorrow um, mm-hmm. for the reading uh, in Zoom. That would mm-hmm. be so fun. And I think there's some more yeah. spaces for people that want to be in the open mic, so maybe maybe you'll be sharing you know, the reading with us, you know, again. 
That'd be really nice. Thank you so much, Wanda. Thank you, Thank Kathy. You, Wanda. Thank you, Adrian. Oh, and oh, you're also welcome. ladies. Thank you're quite you. welcome. <laughs> Bye. 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 Y'all Thank take you, care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. So we are going to close with uh, another one of Tosin's pieces um, that he told us about that I do not know how to pronounce. Um, so I'm not going to do that. Because <laughs> he's going to listen to this and he's going to say, oh, I killed the word. So anyway, just enjoy.
track of that album we were talking about, uh, 2018 Africa Rising. Wasn't that awesome? Oh, my goodness. That was so seen on the percussions and the drums. Ah, what a wonderful, wonderful, um, wonderful CD and uh, wonderful music, Rising. And then the one before that. That I told you I don't know how to pronounce the name But it was really lovely Good advice, you know Very good advice to live by So that everyone else can live and be healthy And grow and be safe So in the meantime though um, I uh, We were talking um, with the poets Who were so wonderful To grace the studio um, You know, all of them um, uh, Joyce Young uh, Adrian Oliver Catherine Takara and Carla Brundage, and uh, they were so wonderful. And, you know, Adrian was talking about, and so was uh, Catherine for that matter, you know, their southern roots, and then I was as well. And uh, Adrian mentions Cheryl Fabio and her wonderful um, West Oakland um, blues legacy um, uh, film. And I actually interviewed her. And so, and her mother, Sarah Webster Fabio, um, I have her. She's reciting a poem, but I'm not sure if I'm gonna do that. I think I'll I think I'll play uh, Sarah Webster Fabio's glimpses, and uh, and then I'm going to play the trailer for Cheryl's um, film, and then I'm going to play the interview that I had with her. I don't know how much. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it all, but you'll be able to hear a little bit of it. And I don't remember. When I interviewed her, it was when the film was having its debut at the Grand Lake Theater. That was a really phenomenal opening screening. I mean, I, I'm i not sure if the red carpet was, was out there or I was just imagining it because so many so many stars, you know, came, you know, were, were interviewed and they actually came to the screening, those that were well and those that were still with us because some of the people that she interviewed in the film are ancestors now. So it was just really fabulous. So I'm going to play uh, her mother uh, reciting one of her poems, uh, Glimpses, and then I'm going to shift right into the trailer and then right into the interview. So thanks again so much for listening, for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. And, uh, yeah, so next Friday we're going to be in May. Yeah, it's going to be May. <laughs> wow, April will be over. My goodness. And we'll be in May and headed towards summer. Um, so anyway, hold on to your hat, right? of an image of ourselves now from glints of our past to wear like a mask of our black nature for all to know us by. A garment, pose, smile, a grimace, stance, 
style. Tattoos on oaken soles. Carvings on mahogany hearts. Finley veil. See the sheep child clasp hands and nimbly leap into ritual dance. Ushering in the green spring. So young, fresh, firmly planted those patterning feet on the drumming earth. Enrolled, see Hannibal, Othello, and shades like ivy along the walls of Timbuktu. And behind them, see the splendor of the pyramid. And regally sunning, and jeweled, and perfumed, see Aida, and Cleopatra, and Sheba. In moonlit glimmer, those middle passages bruised with pain on slave ships in dungeons, smoldering in torrid tombs of Western industrial nightmares, buried in cotton coffins of the South. Glimpses of a memorable past, fragments of the dim soul of a people of destiny to fix as an image to mirror us in our negritude, our collective Afro-based consciousness. Nobly, irrevocably, we emerge to become who we are. And we are black, beautiful, precious, proud. session was probably Calypso, and the instruments talked to each other like the talking drums of Africa. They questioned and answered and resolved arguments. Calypso is the traditional folk music of the Caribbean islands, the West Indies, particularly Trinidad and Jamaica. This is the area of the Middle Passage where our forefathers came through and our distant cousins still live. It's the missing link between what we were when we left Africa and what we were to become in America. And we can answer many riddles of who we are within these islands. The music is in 2-4-4-4 time with marked rhythms and syncopation. And as is in the case of Puerto Rico and the United States Virgin Islands, which form the easternmost region of our nation, Calypso is, as I have said, the traditional form of folk music. These songs deal often with everyday life, with politics and current events. They use traditional instruments, including homemade ones of the percussive type, the better known of these being the steel drums, which were made from old oil tanks. Great Migration was an outpouring of, of six million African Americans from the South to the rest of the United States of America from the time of World War I until the 1970s. Ninety percent of all African Americans were living in the South at the time the Great Migration began, and that meant that 10 percent of all African Americans were spread out throughout the entire rest of the United States, and this migration followed three 
beautifully predictable streams. We focus on the development of West Coast blues, that wartime migration of so many cultures, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Music is probably the most significant and recognizable, instantly recognizable gift of the Great Migration. You know, I, I don't know what we would be listening to if there were no Great Migration. I mean, literally, as Americans and thus as human beings because of the impact that um, American music has had on what people in the world listen to. For the kids to know that, really know that, and know it from a prideful place. But no, look what we did. Our contribution is so great. You bring these Africans over here to work for no pay and you're going to own them and they're coming with this rich musical tradition that goes back thousands of years in Africa and you you know put them in the fields and something happens the more you research black music the more you realize everywhere black folks go they create a musical scene of their own I grew up in the country I know I drank well water I worked in the field I know what it's like I kind of know where they're coming from the people brought the sounds that was with them and once they became city people, the sounds evolved because they was evolving. So the music starts reflecting that. I always call it Black Roots because it came really from these spirituals and singing in the fields, and that's all that you had. All American music, especially country music, is uh, black blues, is slave music. From darkness, from tragedy from tragic surroundings and environments as we even learn from hip-hop comes great art what the migration did was it allowed people who had been held down to in some cases within a single generation lift themselves up to such a degree that they would actually have an indelible impact on the culture itself Evolutionary Blues, and uh, you're going to be in a treat if you're in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, that is, because there is opening night at the Grand League Theater on September 27th. What time is that screening, Cheryl? It's at 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Are there still tickets? <laughs> you know, there are. Not only are there tickets, we've done all of this by Eventbrite. But the Grand Lake mm-hmm. Theater told me yesterday that they'll take over ticketing the night of. So this is being announced on your show. Uh, you can buy tickets at the door. Okay, cool, super, super. Yeah, but don't wait till the last minute because everybody is no. in the film. And, and <laughs> so um, there are going to be a whole lot of people in the house. It's going to be so phenomenal. Congratulations on this great film. Thank you so much. I really appreciate hearing that, especially from somebody local, because, you know, um, it's hard to get an Oakland and uh, a black Oakland voice out there. So the beautiful thing about this film is that there's so many people in it. I knew that once we finished it, the word would spread because there's so many folks in it and they know how to use a microphone. Right. So uh, I'm really <laughs> delighted. Right. I'm delighted that. uh 
you know, it's a story. Once we started making it, you could see it was a story that's been bubbling up for ever. You know, especially in our film because it starts in the early days of Oakland Blues. That's the, the late '40s. But it kind of comes present. When I say present, I don't mean the youngest generation of musicians, but we've got Dwayne Wiggins and Fantastic Negrito in it, and so it comes present. Well, that's a lot of storytelling to push into 90 minutes. Yeah, it sure is, and you do a great job, though. I mean, you, you oh, know, good. it's I'm like it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's pushed at all. It's just like, oh, my gosh, and the way you frame it, I mean, it's not – I mean, people think about the blues as music or as an art form, but it's mm-hmm. the story of a people. Your film is the story of a people, Evolutionary Blues, West Oakland's music yeah. legacy. I mean, That's it's, right. yeah, and, and, you know, you have, you know, these people that shaped it. You know, if they're, yeah. if they're here, you know, you actually interviewed them, and then so much great footage. We see them performing, and Faye Carroll mm-hmm. told me about the film, and then I got something from Elaine <laughs> Elaine mm-hmm. uh, more recently, but Faye Carroll is in the film, and she's talking, and then, um, wow, you've got Lady Bianca, you know, she's narrating, mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, and I hadn't even known that uh, Big Mama Thornton was a drummer, and she is so beautiful. Uh-huh. Isn't she? Isn't she? But you know, I, I, just to to jump off a little bit, I think Big Mama Thornton is one of those very early women who was clear about her sexuality, at least at one point in her life. I think that you know people kind of forced her into a mold, and at, at the point she broke out of it, then she suffered because of it, because there wasn't the kind of support for people who um, you know had identity. Uh, how do you non-conforming identity issues going on? And so we know just the tip of the iceberg about Big Mama Thornton, but she's always been one of my favorites, whether I understood what it was that I loved about her or not. And, uh, God, in doing this film, I just made so much discoveries. And I'm saying I. This is truly a labor of love from, I, I'd say, probably 100 different people honestly have their hands in it in just deep, deep ways. But just my own personal journey with it, I discovered so much stuff and so much stuff that lived in my head like beneath the surface. Like I grew up in East Oakland, and I knew in my head, anytime I met somebody from West Oakland, something was different, but I didn't understand where that thought was coming from. Boy, when I made this film, I said, no wonder, because... There's something about the density of West Oakland that I think, number one, it drew talent, but that that talent was infectious. And so, you know, every time I met somebody from West Oakland, they were somebody who was a highly producing individual. And it's just, you know, it's an amazing story, whether it's an amazing film or not. I'm hoping that it's both, but it's an amazing story. And you know, at the end of it, I thought, you know, we had a Bill Street. Why, how come I don't hear about Oakland's Bill Street or, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so true. And 
and I was just like, wow. I mean, you know, Isabel uh, Wilkinson. Um, you know, the uh, okay. did she get the Pulitzer Prize for the warmth of other son of other sons? No, she, she got it in journalism. But if you okay. read Warmth of Warmth of Other Sun, you understand why she got the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> she is just she, and she's so gracious with it. She is smart. She, I mean, smart and like she's pretty. Razor oh my sharp. God, she's beautiful. Pretty. And gracious. Now that's an unusual combination. <laughs> but but I will say right. that once we interviewed her, then we knew that uh, this would be a film that really. I mean, we didn't make it uh, for commercial use, but we knew that this would be a film that could live any place because it has the historical wrappings that are local, strongly local, but also national because. Isabel's voice in it is a national voice. Oh, yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, and then you think about the migration of black people from, you know, the south to all the different areas in this country, the largest migration, you know, in the history of this country. That's a national story. And That's a national story. And the way story. that um, I, I think in your film someone says um, how, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, Ronnie Stewart or not, but, if there were if there was if there were no migration and no black people, there would be no American mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. There would be um, and there would certainly be I, I think Isabel says that. She says that not only oh. would there that the migration of us, what we've done in these pockets with our music genius translates to what the world is listening to because we the mighty, you know, the mighty America has impacted the entire world and the music that the world does. And I think we're seeing, I'm certainly coming across a lot of opportunities for witnessing um, the white culture. And it always reflects back to black folks and their music legacy. It's just that that part of it isn't told as fully. So, uh, yeah, I think Isabel says it. I think Faye says something. You know, like, look what we've done. We've had such an enormous impact. And yet, that's not the way the narrative goes, right? The other thing, right. you know, when I when we finished this, I thought, God, you know, this is kind of like that Oklahoma story, too, where there's a thriving black metropolis, uh, not a metropolis, but a, a economy going on, and it gets blown up. And, you know, ours gets blown up, maybe not as literally as it was in Oklahoma. But it's not that we aren't savvy when it comes to business. It's that when we reach the pinnacle, it gets blown up, either by urban renewal or by a freeway coming through, a post office takes out the homes or whatever it is, it gets blown up. And that whole urban renewal story goes all over the country. Right, yeah, yeah. And then and then how... You know, you think about integration and the effects of that vibrant, wow. thriving mm-hmm. 7th Street community. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. um, with a Stem Jenkins, uh, he has to, like, let go some of his employees because people are going mm-hmm. to other places now to eat. They're going to the Paramount Theater yeah. um, as yeah. opposed to supporting, you know, the uh, the, or- the institutions that where black people were able to, you know, to have, you know, their fun and also do their commerce. I mean, it was really interesting, you know, when you when you interviewed um, one of uh, the folks. Uh, she's a uh, 
she does work in, um, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, in uh, genealogy, and she was talking about how her, her father oh. got this facility, and he, mm-hmm. part of it was his, um, I'm trying to think what kind of business did he have? Um, shoe, his shoe repair. Shoe business. And his, and his wife, uh-huh. his wife had a beauty parlor on the other side, and then they also lived there. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I'm glad you got that because I was going to say, we cut that. She really talks about him dividing up this tiny store, and I didn't know if you could still tell that they also lived in that building. So absolutely, there's, there's – you know, that's the thing. I kind of knew that integration broke up a lot of the entertainment, but it's not the entertainment. It broke up the economy that supported black folks. It is people showing up in a space saying, oh, we're not welcome here, or I lost my wartime job. Then inventing an entire economy, and and I love the fact that Jeffrey Peake says that mm-hmm. homelessness was unheard of. Because you could always right. go get a job. Right. You could always mm-hmm. go get a job. And that's the reason that if we were able to set up another African-American economy, I wonder, will our people always be able to go get a job? Or are we in this place now where we've got so many divisions going on that you have to be this or you've got to be that in order for me to decide you're worthy of a job? Now, in those days, they knew that we were all worthy. We all had to together or else we'd perish as a group. And I think kind of, you know, we need to pick up on some of that, um, some of that philosophy again. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, before we went on the air, I was just, just commenting on how, just reading your, your short bio, because <laughs> I know this is the abridged version, uh, it's like, how do you do all these things? Uh, you know, you've got a law degree, you know, you've got this organization, um, you know, the uh, Sarah Webster Fabio Center for Social Justice, um, and uh, where you work with five formerly incarcerated people developing one of your films, I'll Tell My Story, and uh, your project manager for Parent Voices, Oakland, until very recently, and... Um, and then you've got other films, um, if people go to your website. But you attended Fisk University, like, oh, my gosh, uh, with a VA major and a and, uh, sociology minor and phot- so BA major, or see, major in sociology with a minor in photography, which kind of mm-hmm. sort of lends itself to um, <laughs> the documentary mm-hmm. film. And mm-hmm. and then you returned to California in 1967. Well, actually, no. You returned to California in 1971 to attend Stanford University's documentary film program, which is renowned. And Ron mm-hmm. Alexander, you write, is your lead professor. He came to Stanford from the Canadian Film Board, and he showed you mm-hmm. film was possible. And then yeah, that's right. everyone knows, you know, KTOP-TV, and, um, uh, you know, you um, were involved in organizing in independent media in the 1980s and 90s, and... Um, at KTOP, what what was your title there, or what is your title well, there? Are op- you still there? No, I'm not. I'm I'm um, okay. I'm a contractor on this project, but I was the operations person. But you know, when we when I came to KTOP, they had just <clears throat> excuse me built out this beautiful studio, and Ashley James was the station manager. 
So there was a wonderful core group of production people, and we made everything we could possibly make. I mean, it was like, uh, it really was like, uh, you know, what the rabbit in the briar patch. I mean, I had never had so much access to production. So you know, when Ruby D came to town, we made her. When Gordon Parks uh, conducted the symphony, we we did that. We did everything we could possibly do. It was a ball. And then the economy tanked. So, you know, that bio might string together in a nice way, but what it really is is uh, it's the journey of – and I don't usually call myself an artist. I don't know why I think I think of that in high regard. And you are an artist when you are behaving as an artist. But that's my journey trying to – get to do production here, and then, okay, I don't get to for three years. What am I going to do instead? And, you know, it's just weaving through it. But what I'm clear about, and uh, Fisk is, is my beginning. When I went to Fisk, they sent me to Mississippi, not to Fisk, but to Nashville. They sent me to Mississippi. I was part of SNCC. And that's when oh, my were. relationship. Wow. I, yeah. But but I was that was that second wave in '67. It was the second wave. Stokely Carmichael was running it. But being in Holmes County, Mississippi, began my understanding of myself in relation to my people in this country, and it's followed me. You know, um, sometimes I think, oh, Cheryl, you're so stubborn, and then I remember. But there's a reason why you are. So um, yeah, you do a lot when you. You know, when you have a particular political view of things, you just you have to be flexible. I'm always reinventing, and it has made life kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and this film, you know, that that you um, have, um, you know, made is just just phenomenal. How long did it take you to make it? Been working on that film for about two years. Um, from you know to, to do a project with the city, it goes out to bid. So from bidding through production, we actually finished it last week when we got our our DCP. That's the, <laughs> what you take to right when you take it to a theater. So it's been intensive. My editor Meadow Holmes is just so relieved to know she doesn't have to edit anymore on that project. It's. Um, <laughs> Uh, There's a million pieces to it, you know, uh, but it was a ball doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, wow. So some of the other projects, if you made some other films, but you haven't, you know, been doing film for a while. Um, I was looking that you know you were the program director at the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame Incorporated, and mm-hmm. um, and you also taught at City College of San Francisco. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you were recruited to be the channel manager at uh, EAT EATV, um, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then and then you know um, I guess when you were selling high um, uh, in 2009, you decided to you know go back to school. Actually, you graduated. You went back to school before then, but you graduated from John F. Kennedy's. School of Law. I don't know. You went back to school and you went graduated from John F. Kennedy School of Law in 2014, and that's when you established mm-hmm. your your um, uh, the Sarah the Sarah Webster Fabio Center for Social Justice. So talk a little bit about um, about this film in the context of of your um, 
of your Center for Social Justice, because um, definitely I, I think making this film, which is it's about time, and, and you, you also, you know, tip your hat to um, um, another film because you, uh, you, oh, wow. uh, you included quite a bit, you know, in, in this mm-hmm. film, uh, the one with, uh, you know, Marlon Riggs Marlon. and uh, mm-hmm, another director. And so I was wondering if you could talk a bit about, about your, your organization and, uh, and how this film, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it's, it's really mm-hmm. important that people know this story. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we, we actually started this organization in 2004. I was living in Emeryville, and it, it's, things were colliding for me. One thing, the, the economy tanked. I had been working at the city, and like all of those other people that were laid off, I was laid off as well. 